Hello, little lollygaggers. Got another show on tap tonight. We're going to talk some World Series baseball. A little NFL. We're going to remember a trade. You know, the usual shenanigans here on uh, on lollygagging sports. As always, with my favorite lollygaggers, I am Bo Reed along with Samantha Button and Matthew Irby here for you probably with the next, you know, hour or so. Uh, so, Samantha, let's dive into this. Uh, before we get to the World Series, something else happened in baseball today. Uh, the Gold Gloves were announced, and something caught caught our eye. I wanted to get your opinion on this. Um, apparently, we now have a utility infielder Gold Glove. Unless I unless, unless somebody was messing with me and sent me the wrong thing, or <laughs> they were playing a joke on me. Utility Gold Glove, is, is that what we're calling this? Yeah, I don't think it's a utility infield, which is utility in general, not that that oh, wow. matters okay. yeah. for the <laughs> problem, because, like, I mean, let's, let's talk about this for a second. I mean, I for the record, I think mostly they did a good job on these. I think mostly the right people won. But, like, why does this exist? Like, by definition, you weren't good enough at your job to get a starting job, but now you get a prize for it. Like, snap count, people. Like... You can't possibly say that is equal to winning a gold glove if you're the third baseman or you're the center fielder, the catcher, the pitcher. I don't care. Pick any person because there is absolutely no way you logged as many innings as any of those people did as a utility player. And if you look at who won it, like because someone will make this argument if I don't say this, these are not people who played every night for these teams, Donovan and DJ LeMay, he was it's not like they were always in the game. They were just in a different position every time. Like, I've heard this argument made about Jeff McNeil in another context um, from the, the hitting side, not the defensive side, where you know, they were talking about, well, it stinks he's not really eligible for any kind of award in any position because they moved him around too much. But he was on the field every night. These guys were not. So how on earth do you say that that is worth the same amount as somebody who got out there with a far, far higher number of tries I mean, like fielding position, or excuse me, fielding percentage on, I don't know, like, you know, 100 tries is a lot different than fielding percentage on 500 tries, even though it's the same percentage, right? Like, this is like some goofy small samples. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? You know, I, I it, it screams participation trophy to me. It really does. But, you know, Irby, mm-hmm. I, something else I was thinking of here. Um because obviously one direction we can go is, well, what is the minimum amount of games you have to play in the field to be eligible for a award like this? Uh, I remember back, back – God, when was this? It was, this was um, obviously turn of the century. This century, I should say. Rafael Palmero won a Gold Glove one year. He played 11 games at first base and was the Gold Glove winner at first base. I forget the year. I want to think it was 99. But I could be wrong on that. Uh, but that's that's immediately what I think of here. Like like you, like we're, we're, what we're doing is we're actually what's the word here I'm looking for? We're actually uh, giving credibility to, like Samantha said, not being good enough to play one position full time. Uh, yeah, uh, not a not a big fan of this all. First of all, yes, well done on the Rafael Palmero that was first base uh, as a Ranger in 1999. Good job to you on that. Uh, I'm with you guys. I don't like the, this. This, you know, participation award. You said it. The this almost feels like okay. We have to find a way to get Lemayu a 
gold gloves. So let's just make something up. You know, and and I I know what is what is the parameters here? Like, is there do they have to play a minimum of three different positions, x number of games? Yeah. Does it have to be? I mean, what what happens if um you know the 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 you know the, a Brendan Donovan in this case let's say he's having a really good year as a utility, but then the third baseman gets hurt. He spends the next hundred games at third base because Hernando's out. So is he no longer eligible as the utility? Is he now the third? Like, what is the is it, is it fifty games more than fifty one position? You're no longer utility. I mean, this is just a, a a game, a sport that has been so constant. And everything this really feels like you just kind of slap something together. And but what are your rules? I don't know. We'll figure it out as we go. What? No, no, not a fan. Sorry, not a fan in the least bit. <laughs> I mean, there really is. I, I think. The question here, Samantha, is we've got to have some correct. Can you imagine an agent actually with a straight face? Now, Scott Boris would do this, and he would have a binder explaining why it's important. But can you imagine an agent looking at an owner or a general manager, a member of the front office, we'll say that, straight in the face and tell them, well, my guy was a, was the gold glove utility guy last year. That should be at least <laughs> worth more. <laughs> do you think that Scott Boris deigns to represent utility players? That's a valid. Like that's a valid Boris point. Himself. Not <laughs> Boris Corp. I'm sure they have something like Scott Boris himself. Like that's valid. Yes, yes. I can absolutely picture an agent like trying to like straight face tell someone that because like what is this right? This is like the like why did this happen? Well, yeah, they wanted to give DJ LeMahieu an award, so they made one up. So somebody wants to give DJ LeMahieu a contract. So the agent's going to make something up, right? And did you know he was the utility gold glove winner? And there's going to be a whole bunch of people, like a bunch of lawyers sitting around a table flipping through binders, being like, that's not a real thing. Oh, okay. Um, right. We'll, we'll pack an extra five grand on his contract. What? Isn't the whole point of utility player that they can come in and play good defense? Like, that's their job. Right? Like, they're a yeah. defensive replacement. They spell other people. They can get out there in the field and not screw up. The whole value of them is that they can play multiple positions. But in the end, they're not good enough at any of them to be a starter. So, like, what? I don't understand what parameters for this are. But, but somebody will do it. Absolutely. That is, that is going to be on the table at a negotiation at some point. Probably for DJ Lee. <laughs> Arbitration hearings if they're, you know, pre-arb players. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, boy. Irby, anything else on this before we get into the World Series? <laughs> uh, yeah, DJ is a Wasserman client, so I guess they're cool with it. Um, Wasserman's cool with it. Not, not for us there, but um, uh, I, yeah, the next step, let's end on a, I'll do a bad and then we'll end on a good. Uh, the, the next step that I fear is, is that we're going to give away silver sluggers. For utility, utility silver slugger. Oh, no. You hit really well playing multiple positions. Like no, 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 no. But hey, end on the good note. The good note: fourteen first-time Gold Glovers. So love seeing that. Love seeing some new blood in there. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely yes. All right. Uh, let's get into this uh, into the World Series. And obviously, um, as as we're taping this, uh, the World Series is uh, knotted up one apiece. Uh, the Phillies have an early lead. Um, 
right now in game three, but you know, obviously we're early on. Um, and we're going to stop telling you guys what's <laughs> happening in a game that will be over. Yes, that's <laughs> I immediately hear about it. We I, promised you we would stop doing this. I immediately thought of that when I said that. Uh, it's actually to nothing, Philly. <laughs> All right. So, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you guys, uh, because we had the the rain out last night, and the, the Phillies immediately, immediately changed up their pitching plans for the next few games. I'm wondering, is, is, is it making too much out of this that, that, the, that the rain out last night does favor, give a little bit of like an advantage to the Phillies in this because they're able to move their pitching around a little bit more? Things that the Astros wouldn't have to do regardless. The Astros are going to do what they were going to do whether there was a rain out last night or not. But is, is, is that something, Samantha, that's going to help Philly in this series? Is going to aid Philly in this series? Or am I making too much out of a rain out? Um, permit me a small rant first, and then I promise to answer your question. Oh, absolutely. But you know who the real loser is in this? The fans, again, because now we've backed up every single game by a day. So it's not just that if you had tickets to the game that rained out, you now have to show up on a different day. Like, now, every single game is on a different day than the one that it was supposed to be on. So if you took off work or planned something with your family, rearranged your schedule around, whatever World Series game, pick any one of the remaining five games, guess what? All of your plans are screwed up, and now you have to redo it. Like, I just, I mean, should there even have been a rain out last night? I'm not sure that I think that there should have been in the first place. That's one thing. Um, I, I wouldn't expect them to play a double header, But, like, you could have backed this up by one instead of doing it and, and at least preserve some of the integrity of the original schedule or, like, wipe out the off day. I don't know. There has, there's got to be a better way to do this than making every single ticket holder change their plans. Like, this is bad. Especially because, like, we're kind of in the area, you know, York, like, it, it didn't, the, the rain didn't really happen the way that they were worried about. So, like, another yikes. Um, so the fans, the big losers in that, of course, and also the advertisers, because guess what? There is now no Friday night baseball game, and now Game 7 of the World Series will be competing with football. Great job, everybody. Great job. Like, now you're going to go up against that Sunday night football. Like, who did this? This is so dumb. Like, I just, guys, I can't. I just, they're so bad at this. It's unbelievable. But the good news is, to answer your original question, I do think this helps the Phillies a little bit. Um, it, it's not a huge advantage. You know, I'm, I'm not sure Suarez, Syndergaard, okay, probably you're going to end up using both at some point. But because, as you pointed out, the Astros didn't change what they were doing. The Phillies got a little bit of a break. You know, we saw in game one, Suarez came in, which was the right move. That was the right call. And then the Astros responded by bringing in their starter, and it made absolutely no sense, and it burned him in the end because Garcia, who I always want to call him the salsa baby because of this weird motion that looks like salsa dance and rocking baby at the same time. And I can't remember his real name. <laughs> um, but <laughs> brought in Garcia, and it was like a disaster. It looked like they caught, like, Dusty looked up and went, oh, we should do that too, which actually didn't make any sense for them. But it, what it sort of did is sort of negate any consequences for that for Philly. So I think that's good news. You know, we can debate whether Suarez, Syndergaard, what, whether there's 
truly any advantage in that, but it did allow them to go back to what they would have done originally if they hadn't had to, uh, I don't want to say burn a starter, but use a starter for a couple of innings the first game. And I do agree with you on you know, what you were ranting about there. Um, I'm wondering, like, did, did they overreact because of you know, other issues yes. they had in the postseason? Yes. They, they, they were really quick. I, I'm out to dinner with my fiance, trying to figure out what's going on with this game, and they were quick. Like it was like seven Eastern time. Like they they made that decision fast. It makes me wonder if they uh, if they were overreacting just a little bit to what happened earlier this postseason. Irby, how about you? Same question. Is there an advantage here for the Phillies now that they had an extra day to shuffle their pitching around? Uh, yes, on your other point. I, I too, thought it was a quick button. I kind of appreciate that they did it a little early because I was charging up my headphones to go trick-or-treating and have a headphone in and be able to listen to the game while trick-or-treating with the kids. And pretty quick, oh, hey, I guess I don't have to do that. Phone's fully charged, headphones fully charged, but I don't need it. Awesome, thanks. Uh, yes, for the exact same reason of what Samantha said, I think that's what it was an advantage for Philly here, um, getting Suarez because I agree, I, and I too agree, he was the right move of using him there in Game One, and so you kind of you reset. I mean, it, it, it's funny how this works. It, it really does now feel like this is a five-game series, and best of five. So here we go, and. So I yeah I don't know I mean it it, it didn't hurt either side because it's just one game or, I mean I guess technically it's two days um, but that's in baseball that's really not enough for anything to cool off or something like that which is the good news um, but yeah I mean you're gonna you're gonna make me answer yes I think it does help Philly a little bit um, but how much I mean, <laughs> We'll see. I, I, aside from the Suarez, if he if he does well tonight, then yes, it definitely helped out. So there, I can I'll, I'll stick with that. You know, Samantha. One notable thing that did not happen was Zach Wheeler was not moved up beyond Game Six. He's still the Game Six starter. How concerned should we all be about his fatigue? His his velocity is down. Yeah, and he just he didn't look like himself. You know, and yeah. he, he just and okay, anybody can have a bad outing. I mean, the drop in velocity is a little bit more concerning to me than like not being able to hit your spots because I think sometimes you're just off. But and, and these guys have bad games. I mean, it's a hell of a time to have a bad game, but it happens, you know. But the the drop in velo is a little bit concerning. Um, the, the pitch count when it all happens is very concerning to me. Um, yeah, I mean, he hasn't looked great. That makes me super nervous, especially if that's a series deciding game, which I'm guessing the way this is going, it won't be. But still. Like, at that point, like, somebody's either, well, technically, it almost has to be serious deciding, right? Like, we don't mm. know for a fact that, that it won't be. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, okay, everything gets pushed back a day or whatever, and, like, maybe that helps you in that capacity. But, like, if, if the guy's arm is just spent, like, that's different than like, wow, I could really use an extra day of rest, or man, I just had a bad outing, because to me, he just looks like a guy who's like a little bit done, which is like, I don't know, that that worries me a lot. Like, that, that is, I think, my primary concern right now. That, that and, and the fact that, that listings on these players are hilarious. Like, I've just seen a, a gentleman for the Astros who was six foot six and 190 pounds, and I thought, that sounds unlikely. 
That just feels wrong. <laughs> you know, it very well. <laughs> Who did this? <laughs> Man, I feel like that's six, not six, accurate. Six one ninety. You are a bean he, pole. Yeah, but he doesn't look like Tristan McKenzie, right? He looks like three of Tristan McKenzie. So, like, <laughs> I feel like that's probably not accurate. But I was just running through the list, and I was like, wow, that's just, there's no way that's right. Okay, interesting. <laughs> Irby, uh, same question to you. How concerned are you here with Zach Wheeler? I'm very concerned. Uh, same thing. This is not short rest, and you didn't have it. This is you know, extra rest and you didn't have it. So yeah, this is, this, this feels more like arm fatigue into the season, uh, running on empty. And there's a difference between running on empty, knowing you've got one, you need one, maybe two more starts left in the season. And you kind of, you know, <laughs> pitchers and, and not just pitchers, any athlete out here, not outside of baseball is baseball, football, basketball, hockey, all these sports, you can be hurt, and you can get through it for one game. You can get through it for one night. But the drop of velocity, the, 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 the rest that he had, full rest, extra rest, drop of velocity, yes, this definitely feels like more than being able to grit it through. And, and, and the sad thing, the scary thing for Philly is, is that might have been his effort gritting it through. And if it is, you, you can't start him again, or you're going to have to have a stupid quick hook on him. Yeah, I, I'm, maybe we have an opener in World Series Game Six. Okay, so you know early impressions here, Samantha. From you know obviously Game One was an incredible comeback by the Phillies. Um, I turned it off. I think when it was five to nothing, um, they came back obviously and won that one. Uh, the Astros come back, win Game Two. Where do you think this series stands right now? It, it, Momentum is always as good as your next starting pitcher, so I'm not asking about momentum. Whereas, where do you feel like this series stands between these two? Who's got, who's feeling best right now after after splitting the first two? Well, coming into Game Three, which obviously we don't have the privilege of knowing how that one turned out yet, you guys will when you hear this. But I mean, the easy answer is well, whoever wins Game Three has all the advantage, right? Sure. But like, I'm not sure that's true. Um, to me, it's. I don't know. I think if you're the underdog and you can take a lead in the series, that's the big advantage, right? Because, like, if Houston takes a one-game lead, then that's they're doing what they're supposed to do. It's just business. If Philly takes a one-game lead, that feels like a big advantage, because particularly because then you've got two more at home, probably not going to run the table and just end the World Series before going back to Houston, but it is a huge advantage. It means you have games to give despite the fact that you are not the team expected to win this. So, you know, I think that's sort of the deciding factor for me kind of at this point when the series changes locations and we move into the the visiting teams uh, ballpark. But right now, I, I... I'm sort of torn between the fact that I'm very, very worried about Philly's pitching, like super worried. It's not just Wheeler. Mm-hmm. It's the idea of like, we don't know what Syndergaard is going to look like. Nola has not been perfect. Suarez is okay, but he is very much the guy who is the third starter who you wish he didn't have to use in the postseason, uh, <laughs> despite the fact that he has done a good, this is no respect, no disrespect to, to Richard Suarez. He, he's done a lovely job. It's just, He's not exactly the lights out guy that you hope for in that position, and, and Houston doesn't have that problem. So, 
you know, you're a little bit, I think, at a disadvantage there, and, and obviously the Houston bullpen far superior, but I still feel like Philly is, like, the hotter team here. So, and yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> at what point do we stop saying that? Because the Astros keep winning baseball games. Uh, sooner or later, we're going to have to, right? But, like, until that happens, I don't know. I feel like they want it more. I, I really do. I feel like they care about this more. I, I feel like they've done a better job of going out and winning games they shouldn't win, which matters a lot more at this point than winning games that you should win because that's just your job, right? So we're back to that again. <laughs> Irby, anything you want to add there? I 100% agree. This is, you know, it, it, Houston, the, you really just have to take one here um, in Philadelphia. You, you put yourself in a much better position if you can take two, obviously. And and this goes, it kind of goes back to the whole thing of what we were just talking about as well, of, of, of resetting. You, you know, you look at Philly moving Nola up and for game four and Verlander stays back in game five. It's, it's almost like Philly's setting themselves up and there's no way Nola can go in <laughs> game seven, but but he's probably going to be available for something if you get to that point and you're pushing your chips in here. If you can get a win in game three and you got Nola in four, you're feeling really, really good about yourselves. The other thing of, of, of Philly is what was super important about that comeback is, is that it showed to you, which you knew, but it's, it's different. You know, you, the confidence is there in the clubhouse that we can take this Houston team. Yes, we're the year the underdog, blah, 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 blah. You're not supposed to do that. You know, they don't care. We, we talked about that last week. They're there, they're head down, blowing through road barriers like they don't exist. But then you went out and you did it. And th- there's something different between knowing, you know, you know, confident that you can do it is different than doing it. And they did it in game one. And, and I know that it was a little crazy having to do that come back from down 5 nothing, but you did it, and you proved to yourselves that you did it, and you know from then on you can. It didn't happen in game two, but it wasn't going to. Philly was never going to sweep this. Philly's not going to win this in five. Houston's going to find a way to win two games here in this series. I would be utterly shocked if Philly did this in five. So, but, but that's the beauty is, is that you just have to find a way now with these last five games to win three. You know, it, it, it's not... You're not behind the eight ball. You're not having to press. I know, Bo, that's when you talk a lot, a lot. You see batters where they start pressing it because they, yeah. they you know, get nervous. And, and you don't see this from this Philadelphia team. They are just, I, I, they, they believe now. You know, you, they believe it themselves that they can do this and they can win this. But it's a different feel when you actually go out and do it in a game. And they did that. And, and now you've got a game three where you have an opportunity to do it again. And what they need is they need to take a lead, hold the lead the whole game. You do that. You have the comeback win, and then you have a lead from from start to finish. And at that point, you are definitely feeling like, okay, th- th- they can't stop us. All right, so, you know, Astros fans out there, listen up, because this is one of the few compliments I'm ever going to give that team. Um, the way they came out in game two after blowing game one, late the way they did. Coming out game two, everything was business. It was all business. They took care of business. A lot of teams would have still had last night in their heads. The Astros obviously didn't do that. They came out and won game two. And, and you know, when you lose game one, game two is obviously must-win territory. But if it, it, when you lose it the way the Astros did, that makes it even more must-win. They, the way they – very methodic 
throughout game two and, and winning <clears throat> that baseball game. I bring that up, Samantha, because the one thing that we have seen from the Phillies this year, and this is how they keep they keep uh, still working out. How I'm trying to look phrases. They they keep cheating fate. They keep um, they keep proving everywhere that baseball is not about how a team looks on paper. It's about the game. It's about the team and how they play that particular series. This is a very emotional ball club. The fans in Philly have been a very they've been an emotional charge into these Phillies. All going all the way back to Game One of the Wild Card Round when they came back on the road against the Cardinals. All this emotion is is what Philly thrives on. I think that's going to obviously aid them in the next three games. But is it enough to push them past a clearly better team in Houston? I, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I, I also struggle a little bit with, like, at what point do we have to stop calling Houston the better team if Philly takes the lead in the series? Like, True. I think that it's... You know, okay, if Philly takes a one-game lead, you can still argue that Houston's a better team. But what happens if they take a two-game lead? Do we have to stop saying that? Like, I, how do we define good? Like, I just had a conversation with somebody about this the other day who's sort of a not, let's say, a moderately educated baseball fan. saying, well, how do you define, like, good? Who's better? Like, can you? And I'm like, well, it doesn't really work that way. Because you can't just line up, like, well, here are all the... Houston starting pitchers, and, and, you know, here are the Philly hitters, and it's this guy versus this guy. Like, it, it doesn't really work that way by the time we get to this point, especially with a team like Philly that theoretically shouldn't be here, but are we going to say they're not good? I mean, they they have outlasted teams that were theoretically far better than they are. So at that point, I have to come back to the idea that, like, yeah, it is a huge advantage because it's worked for them that they are this team that is hugely motivated by things <laughs> that are kind of like, well, it, it sort of goes beyond your abilities, right? You just want it more. You want to do it for your fans. Like, they're responding mm-hmm. well to that. But credit to the Astros, too, because they're not bothered by it. That's the thing. Right. So it's like, okay, is it, it's probably less of an advantage than it would be over a team like, I mean, the Yankees, the first one, to come to mind because they're the ones that just did it, but you could probably say it about the Dodgers too, and you could say it about the Braves. These teams that just give up, like, wow, you guys are super into this. We feel very beaten. This is discouraging. These people are too excited. They want it too bad, and then they lay down and die. Astros don't do that. Like, they were fine. Like you said, they came out. Businesses usually didn't bother them that this team seems to have more passion than anyone else. They didn't care. <laughs> So, I mean, I, even when they're losing, like, they're not giving up, which is what we keep coming back to with them, and it's, it's why they won't go away. So, I don't know. Like, it, part of me feels like that is a huge thing for Philly. I think that matters so much, and it may ultimately be the thing that gets us done for them in the end. But I also don't think the Astros are nearly as affected by that, probably because they're used to everybody hating them because, like, well, of course everybody hates them. It's just kind of business as usual for them. They're used to this, right? Everybody wants to beat you really badly because everybody hates you. So I right, guess that just yeah. becomes your resting state. <laughs> but, but, you know, you wonder, okay, does it nullify the effect that the other team doesn't care? Or does the effect it has on your team exist independently of that because you're still going to do things that will ultimately put you out to run? Irby, same question to you. What would you like to add there? I nothing. 
That was good. I, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, we're all being nice and we're saying good. I mean, this is, this is what Houston does and, they, and they've done since 2017. I know it was a little more illegal back then, but still, this is what this team does. That's what they were built around is to, you know, just, okay, take it on the chin, move on, get the next thing done. And because we, we talk about that with baseball, you know, baseball is a sport where you have a bad night, you watch it. I mean, I, I, Said that, especially in regular season, it's a totally different story. But, but in regular season, you know, it's wow, you know, fans even going, I can't believe you think they'll be fine tomorrow. They lost by 12 tonight. Yeah, they've already forgotten about that. But you move on. And, and World Series, it's a little bit harder, but but it, that is a mindset. And that is something that these this Astros team, um, the, the, the core of these guys that have been here Altuve, Alvarez, Bregman, Guriel, these guys have done this enough where it's just kind of, I, I mean, you can break it down to civil in game one of going, all right, that's on us. You know, I know Philly came back, but you do that to yourself. You go, that's on us. We let them come right back in, and they beat us. And you come out and you get it done the next day, and it's this is where, I mean, I go back to this. It is all washed. And in and, and the rain analogy, whatever you want, it's all washed. This is a five-game series. Yeah, you know, that's the crazy part. You know, this is why I love I love these postseason series that have like seven games. You know, baseball has it, hockey has it, basketball has it. Like you split games one and two, it's not the best of five. And if you're the road team and you, you, you split on the road, all of a sudden you got the next three at home. You know, so it's it's just it's just fun. Smith, anything else you want to add here uh, on the World Series before we get into the NFL? Uh no. Just to follow up on what you're saying, though, um, I. I can't remember if I said this on this show or not, guys. If I did, I apologize. It's been a long couple of weeks. But um, this is why I think the road team has an advantage as long as they get that split. Right. Like, mm-hmm. give me absolutely, I would way rather, as long as I can salvage a split in the first two games, I would way rather have those three games in the middle than I would the two on the front and two on the back. Now, talk to me in game seven when it's my team going into somebody else's house and I might feel a little bit different. But guess what? The numbers on that aren't good either. The visiting team in a winner-take-all game in the last game of a postseason series, no matter what number game it is, when it's winner-take-all, the visiting team almost always wins. So, I, at what point do you not want to be the home team in this situation? <laughs> like, it just feels like... Except for the three of us. Kind of the three of us hate that stat. Yeah, that's a, that, that, made, that made me cringe just a little... <laughs> Oh, because the Guardians were one of the few that didn't get it. Yeah, that didn't happen. And the Rangers. And the Rangers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you want to go way back? I was referring to this season. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, but but no, but that stat is true along the line in Game Sevens. Game Sevens in the World Series go the way of the visiting team. Yeah, that's what I just said. Any winner take all postseason series. Yeah, no, no. That's the, that's the point I made. I. Our teams in recent history, yeah. yeah, no, our teams in recent history has not gone well. You, you guys against the Cubs and us against the Cardinals, not, not great. Hate that stat. Oh, I don't think that applied to us with the Cubs, but it does apply to you with the Cardinals, and it did apply to us with the Marlins as well. Um, although, wait a minute, that was still. Hold on, how do we even calculate those ones that happened during the All Star Game determines the home team? series 
Because the whole argument for why this was happening is because it meant basically that the home team was not really better despite their better record and that they couldn't get it done. Like the point being, of course, if it goes seven or five or however long the series is, the visitor is going to win because you should never have let it get that far. But like, doesn't that kind of get neutralized in any World Series that took place during the great, you know, all-star game home field advantage debacle because there really was no underdog in that capacity? Something to think about. But the stat holds regardless. And yes, we have all been burned by this. You know, you, you, you mentioned things like that, and you think about you think about you know that, that actually was a thing. The, the All Star Game winner determined home field in the World Series. You linked that with all. The, it's amazing that Manfred is actually worse than Selig. I because yeah, it's we amazing. don't talk enough about how bad Bud Selig was and how happy we were to see him go because he was a terrible commissioner. And then we got Rob Manfred and everything got worse. Definitely, Amazing. you know that that that, that whole uh, dance with the devil that brought you. Yeah, yeah, feeling that. yeah, <laughs> feeling that now. Irby, how about you? Anything else in the World Series before we hit the NFL? No, no, no. Let's flip over to some football. All right, let's do that. Let's flip over to some football. So we've got a couple of games we're going to chat about here before we get into our trade for the uh, for this week. Samantha, let's start. Bills and Jets, and obviously we've talked about the Bills quite a bit on this program. We talked to the, the, about the Jets a little bit last week, but I want to take a different angle here with the Jets. Um, just because they, they've actually forced this conversation, are they legitimate wildcard contenders? I mean, obviously they're not going to challenge the Bills for the East, but the way the rest of the AFC is going, are they legit? Could they, could they potentially be playing on wildcard weekend? So record-wise, yeah. I mean, I think we have to at least consider it because, like, if you look at the, what the records in the AFC look like right now, even whether it's the better conference or not, when you look at the records, you look at the Jets' record, like, basically they could go, like, 500 the rest of the season, and it might be enough to get a playoff for us, depending on, we don't know what the win total is going to be. Is it going to be 10? Is it going to be 11? You know, if, if that's what gets you in, then the Jets may very well get there. Now, the schedule's going to get a little bit tougher, so that, that 500 looks... <laughs> well, maybe a little bit rougher, um, but you know, from a, from that perspective, when you think about what they would have to do the rest of the way in order to get there, then yes, we have to consider that. However, when you actually look at the product on the field, if you watch the Jets play football, they sure don't look like they belong in the postseason. <laughs> and I say this as somebody who likes the Jets and who wants them to do well, and and I do think they have made a ton of progress. I think Salah is a good coach. Uh, I think they have a lot of talent there. I'm not sure Zach Wilson's the guy, even though we all want him to be, so we're all rooting for him. We love Zach Wilson. Um, but they didn't look great. I mean, and I know in the Patriots always beat the Jets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's one game. It doesn't matter. But um, and in the grand scheme of things, that, that one game is not going to mean anything. But we'll see how they bounce back this week. And guess what? They get the Bills, so that feels supremely unlikely. The Jets are not going to come out and beat the Bills. It's just, it ain't going to happen. So back-to-back losses puts you a little bit in a hole, and I just, I don't know, guys. I don't know if they have the talent. I mean, it's a weird year. Like, basically, everyone's, there's like three good teams, and everyone else stinks. So, I mean, that is how you get into the postseason if you're a team like the Jets that, like, doesn't suck but isn't good. I mean, this would be the year for it, right? But I, it's just, I'm having a hard time selling this to myself, even though I want to so badly because I think it'll be fun. So what you're suggesting is the Jets are going to be the playoff team of the suck. 
They're in the suck playoffs. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, does anybody? <laughs> how many teams exist in the NFL right now that deserve to go to the playoffs? Because I count like six, and there's a lot more playoffs. I think, than that I think guy. You're, being, you're being so. more you're being more generous than I would be. Irby, where are you at on this whole conversation? Are the Jets' legitimate wild card is because the rest of the league is just awful? Where are we at here? Yes. Okay, I asked you a few questions there, so I don't know if yes is the appropriate answer. But it is all around. No, no. I mean, it uh, was, though. Technically, it was correct. <laughs> it was. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, sorry. I've been. I was in a class all day. I'm, I'm in a yes no mode. No, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is. This is a wild card for the team. Um, this this is a team that what what they the product that they are putting on the field. And I know, uh, you know, sorry, you mentioned it about the Patriots and even what happens this week against the Bills. It's not anything to shudder about. I, I I mean I say that they still have to go out. And you got to get the job done. Is this a, a a franchise that in the past that we could sit here and make a conversation of? They're probably going to finish five and twelve. Yes, we could do that. It's not going to happen. I think this is a team, and we've talked about it before, with what's left on their that they can win enough games, and how the AFC, the lower part, not the upper echelon, and and that's where I think it's a great discussion of. This is a discussion of is this team a wall card worthy team? Yes. Now, the issues they're going to have is is they got the Bills now, and. You didn't beat the Patriots, and the Dolphins went out and traded all the picks they got for Trey Lance. Well, they really wasn't on the Trey Lance, but still, the Dolphins went out and made two trades, adding Bradley Chubb and uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. So you sit there, and it's like, okay, it's it's a tough, tough division that we can sit and make a very good argument could have two teams coming out of it. I mean, I think all three teams could come out of it. That would that would be something incredible. Here we go, all the entire East in the postseason. Probably not going to happen, but we can make that argument. But I, I do think two teams come out of here, and so the Jets are in a position. You, you're in the game. You're in the conversation. We're approaching halfway. <laughs> you are in the conversation. Which I think if you'd ask any Jets fans before the season to be in the conversation going into November, I think they'd have taken it. Samantha, anything you want to say? Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I did go through and do a quick count because I was perhaps unkind. I've counted 10 teams that I think belong in the playoffs, which does still leave some space for the Jets. I did not count the Jets in that. So, like, here's, I have Dallas, the Giants, San Francisco, Philly, Buffalo, Minnesota, Seattle, Tennessee, Kansas City, and Baltimore. That's it. That's 10. So there's, there's room for the Jets. Buying the you Giants. Know, uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm buying the Giants at their current record, but I'm buying the Giants as being able to, like, being good enough to go into the postseason. Yeah. Got it. Gotcha. Okay. I am. I believe in Brian. All right. Let's pick this thing, shall we? Bills and Jets. Who are you going with, Samantha? Oh, the Bills. I, I don't even think this is going to be close. I'm, I'm sad for the Jets. I, I hope they know that this is, like, yeah, this is just a thing to be endured. <laughs> Actually, I hope they make it a game because it would be more fun that way, and I would love to see the Jets hang around because I'd like to see how the Bills respond to that, and I think it would be good for the Jets too, but I don't actually think this is going to be close at all. I think Buffalo is going to kill them. <laughs> Irby, how about you? 
Uh, Bills easy um, because it's in New Jersey. Uh, Jets Jets are four and zero on the road. So uh, talk to me when they when they head up to Buffalo. But uh, yeah, Bills <laughs> Bills win. I am also taking the Bills. Uh, they're the better team, and frankly, they should have. I don't know. The, the, the Jets seem to come out and like like when you just when you don't give them any chance, they come out and prove you're wrong. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll give them a slight chance. How's that, Samantha? Let's give them like a 5% chance of winning this game. Sure, I think that's reasonable. Or, I mean, I haven't seen the line yet on this game, but, I mean, I would be willing to entertain the idea of the Jets against the spread if the spread is double digits. I would entertain Thir- that. 13. 13? Okay, give me the Jets against the spread then. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure Buffalo is going to win by more than that, but that is big enough to where, like, I, any NFL spread or, like, 11 makes me really nervous, so I'll take the Jets against the spread. Why not? All right. Okay. Seahawks are in Arizona to face the Cardinals. Uh, Smith, let's talk about Geno Smith uh, because what are we calling this? We, can't, is this? we can't call it a resurgence. I mean, is this a surgence? Is, is that what we're at with Geno Smith? Like, like I'm trying to figure not out. Not a resurgence, ca- but a surgeon. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what to call this because I don't know what to I call mean, it. I yeah, I mean, weirdly, this new word, which is now a word on this podcast. Um, yeah, a surgeon. Absolutely. I look. We we've never really seen in. I don't know. It's like the easy dunk to be like he got away from the Jets and now he's good. But I don't know that it's that simple. I mean, there was certainly some mischaracterization going on with Geno Smith. I mean, the, the guy's a pocket passer, and everybody was spending all their time being like, where does he run? What does he run? And you're like, what? Like, <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. That's not what he does. So uh, there was some mischaracterization going on there, and, and I think that he was used by previous Jets coaches in, in ways that made absolutely no sense. Um, also, the Jets were terrible, so everybody there was just going to look bad, right? So some of that's just awful luck for him. You know, I mean, raise your hand if you had Pete Carroll resurrecting anyone's career on your bingo card at this point. Put your hands down, everybody. I don't believe you. I mean, it. I will say this. It lends a lot of credence to the, the stuff that's coming out of Seattle now where everybody's kind of saying, yeah, like, Russ, like, it was a problem, and I... I know after a guy leaves, there's always this uptick of, yeah, I never liked that guy anyway, you know, from ex-teammates and, and current Seahawks members and Seahawks fans. It's like, I think it's part of the catharsis. I mean, you know, like fellow Cleveland fans, well, I'm not a Browns fan anymore, but I, I was one once upon a time before they turned completely evil back when they were just incompetent. And every time a guy left, everybody was like, yeah, I never liked that guy. I hated that guy. The players, fans, everybody. And it's like, no, we all loved him. And then it didn't work out, and I guess this is just, like, how we're dealing with our parting, like, so that we don't have to mourn it. Like, the whole thing with Russ is weird, but it does lend some (laughs) credence to, I mean, who won that trade right now, right? Like, I mean, now it looks like, well, if you swapped Russell Wilson for Geno Smith straight up, Seattle won the trade, plus they got other stuff in that deal, so, whoa, like, I... I don't know that I, I think that's an entirely fair way to look at her, entirely fair to Russ in any way, but it looks pretty suspicious that the Seahawks are doing this well because Geno Smith, as much as he's been outstanding, and I don't want to say anything bad about this because, like, I'm rooting for this guy. Like, I think he got a very bad deal early in his career, like, real bad in a way that there's no way he could have 
controlled a lot of it. I mean, are we really buying? Are we really buying like Geno Smith League MVP? I don't think so. I just don't buy it. I mean, if I'm wrong, that's awesome. Good for Geno. I'm happy for him. But I don't know, guys. I don't know. <laughs> I see. I can't even figure out what to, what to call what we're watching. So, Irby, I'm, I'm going to defer to you here. What do you think here? Is this something that's going to last? With Geno Smith, or is this is this a point where he's about to turn into a pumpkin? I no, I don't think he turns into a pumpkin. It, it's I, I don't see this thing lasting too terribly long. I, I to the point of winning a division or anything like that. But this is you know I, I they are because they they've had you know I mean a couple of their losses have not been great um, and. You're beating teams, which I'm, 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 again, I don't want to take anything away. You are winning, you know, what's on your rod, but they haven't played the Rams yet. You got throttled by the Niners. That's not going to help. Well, and and that's a good point. Like the Rams right now are kind of, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I can take the Rams (laughs) beating, but, but, and, and, and the funny thing is, is it doesn't, you know, it, I, Seattle, because of where you finished last year, you have a favorable, you know, schedule this year, and it's playing in their favor, and they're winning their the games in front of them. And I, I do, I, I love that it's what is it the, the Geno Smith um, revenge tour, beating the Chargers, beating the Giants. Even though it was just one year there, they do have what is it week seventeen? <laughs> they play the Jets, so he gets to play all his teams again. It'd be amazing if he can get all three of those wins. I'll definitely be cheering for that one. Um, but. Because of what happened in their game against San Fran, I'm not buying this as a as a win the division. But that also San Francisco has to put their games together and keep winning and get back in front of them because the Seahawks are leading and and they are currently in the playoffs as we were to play today and we're halfway through. So yeah, I mean, it, it, and the other thing too is is it's not like they are winning just with Geno. This is with defense. This is with run game. Who'd have thought? I mean, it's ever been a while, but they finally. Oh, yeah, we can run the ball and be successful. Yeah, you can. So they're not they're not just relying on Geno, and that's why it doesn't I – don't, I don't think this turns into a pumpkin because he would have to suddenly fall off a cliff in his play, and I don't see that happen. Geno's been around long enough. He knows this game. He knows how to not lose games, and that's what he's doing. He's not losing games, and he's putting his team in a position to win – and so far, in their eight times, they've won five. So, hey, can't, I can't say anything negative. Good job. All right, Smith, let's let's switch over to the Cardinals. Obviously, they're coming off their loss to the Vikings uh, on Sunday. The three and five, not really all that. Well, I guess because of the division they're in, they're still somewhat relevant. But how would you characterize where the Cardinals are? Are they fringe? Are they... I guess you'd have to call him like a wannabe playoff contender. Like, where are we at here with the Cardinals? Yeah, I mean, they're in the weaker conference. Like we said, everybody's bad. So if you're mediocre, you're still in the game, right? Even in week nine, if you are just okay, you're you're in the mix with everybody else. So from that standpoint, yeah, the Cardinals are still part of this. There's absolutely no reason why they can't get themselves the postseason. But, like, have you ever seen... Well, no, I know the answer to this. We've seen this a million times, but 
we'll call it instead one more example of a team where you just look at it and you're like, there is so much talent on that roster. How are they this bad? Because they're not good, guys. They're not even average. Like, they will sometimes put together a series that looks phenomenal, and you're like, that, that's the thing that made us all think they were better than this. Because when they look good, they look really, really good. But it's like they can't put it together. There's a huge disconnect between Cliff and Kyler. That's part of this. Um, you know, I go back and forth as to whose fault it is. Um, right now I'm on Kyler um, because I spent a lot of time defending Kyler in the offseason, and he's been pretty much a bit jackass ever since then. Yeah. So I'm not real hot on him right now. He's not exactly playing in a way that will shut me up. Um, but also Cliff has to coach an entire team, right? It's not just Kyler and like this defense, no one good, which some of that's not his fault. I mean, I, I think they have missed a little bit and this team has been, you know, this is something I think we talk about more in baseball, but it's, it's not a bad roster. It's like a poorly constructed roster. <laughs> um, so that's part of the problem too. And that's on Steve Kyle, not Cliff Kingsbury, but like, I don't know, man. Like it's just right now I look at this and think like, you guys have a ton of talent and a ton of potential, and sometimes you'll put it together for like a drive or a quarter, but I've yet to see them play four good quarters of football on the same Sunday, which doesn't bode well. All right, same question to you there, Irby. What are you making of the Cardinals here going into week nine? Well, Call of Duty, you know, Modern Warfare 2 is out, so Kyler's happy. Yeah. So that has nothing to do with his football. Well, no, he does have to do with his football. I do love that stat, how poorly he plays whenever there's Call of Duty tournaments. Kind of hilarious. Um, I This is, yeah, like, there was a time early on in the season, I know they, you know, you started the season, it didn't go great, you're playing against Kansas City, but after that, the defense showed up. And the defense is doing a great job and kept them in games where the offense didn't have to be on point. And you weren't winning, I mean, you you still lost more games than you won, and that's the offensive point, but now the defense is not performing. And the offense had a little bit better, but there's some trash points in there, too. Like, like it's just... Samantha's point's spot on. Like, like it is... The consistency is... is the not consistency. The lack of consistency. The ineptness of consistency here is just unreal. Because it is... This is a Cardinals team that has the ability to come out and beat everyone. If this Cardinals team beats Seattle at home on Sunday by 20-plus points, we are not going to be sitting here going, wow, that was amazing. It would be more of, okay, yeah, here we go. This is what they're capable of doing. Just like if they were to lose 19-9 to to them again, we would sit here as well and go, I mean, yeah, you look at the way they play. I mean, it is just, and, and, and it's not the car. I, I harped on the Colts with the same thing, but, the Cardinals today, it is, and, and who knows? Who knows? And, and, and the sad thing is, is they've got three straight divisional games. So so Arizona can turn this all around right now. They, they have the opportunity to turn it all around, and they could be 6-5 and five with three straight wins against their division. But I, this is the, <laughs> you know, Samantha asked for you to raise your hands if you saw Pete Carroll turn around. Raise your hands if you see Arizona winning those three games in a row. And, and, and no, none of you have raised your hands again. Because none of it, I have zero confidence that they could put, like, like you said, let alone put one game together. The chances of putting three straight? No, no. And this is, this is a, where I lean on it more, and, I, and I'm not a 
huge Kyler fan. I think there's issues there, but this is where I put it on coaching. This comes down to coaching. This this lack of consistency. This, this I, I just no. I I don't have confidence that they could put this together three straight games, and especially in a game here with a Seattle team that's finding ways not to lose. All right, <clears throat> let's pick it then. Samantha, who do you have here? Seahawks or Cardinals? Uh, Seahawks. I toyed with it a little bit. It is in Arizona. It's divisional, but honestly, like, I'm just, I, I'm so out on the Cardinals right now. I just, I can't do it. They, they would have to do a lot more to convince me that I should be taking them in a game like this than they've done. Irby, how about you? I, I want a homer pick and take Arizona to knock Seattle down a little bit, but I just think the same thing. I just can't do it. I just can't. There's not enough. You know, we're talking about the consistency. I just can't do it. Seattle will find a way, again, not to lose, and and Arizona will find a way to lose. Yeah, I agree with both of you. Um, I think I'm going to add a little – I guess double down on, on what you're saying, Samantha. Uh, Arizona has to win again before I pick them. Um <laughs> They just do. You got to prove to me you can win a football game before I pick you again. I don't care who you play. All right. This is why I've sworn up the Chargers for the rest of the season. I'll never take the Chargers again. Cannot make me. I don't care who they're playing. Never again. <laughs> never. Okay. Well, I, th- I think it's time to remember a trade, Samantha. What do you have for us tonight? All right. Well, thought we ought to talk about because this is. Maybe, maybe the last, let's remember, some trades of the season. We'll see. This is going to be the last in-season baseball that we have. So I thought that we would want to kind of link it back to this particular World Series. So for that reason, I did pick a trade that happened on July 29, 2010 that involved the Philadelphia Phillies. July 2010. Yeah. Okay. What were the Phillies up to in 2010, Irby? Uh, they were 20. That's about the same time. They, this was a playoff team. This yeah. wasn't the Mets were terrible. The Marlins didn't care. The Braves weren't winning just yet. So this is. And, and right. So they're, they're definitely the buyers. And they're yeah. Yeah. They are. Yes. They're right. the buyer. So, yeah, this is, I mean, they're coming off two straight World Series appearances here. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right, because they won in 08 and lost to the Yankees in 09. Okay. Um, hmm. Just two teams? Two teams. Two teams, okay. Man. Was this a rental? Or do they have have him for more than more than just the rest of that year? Uh, this person did remain with the Phillies the following year. But I believe that was a one year contract. It's not so, ch- is that the Chase Utley trade, is it Irby? No. No. That comes later. Oh, she knows, I don't. I know. I'm, tr- I'm trying to. I'm trying to. <laughs> I brainstorm with you here, man. 
Yeah, he, he's trying to get you involved. <laughs> but no, it's not the Chase Utley trade. Chase Utley is still Philly at this point. I, okay, so this is in the height of Halliday Hamels. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Halliday Hamels. I, I, I want to say it's a pitcher just because that offense. Oh, there was a. The, the, oh, wait a minute. When, when, when it's not a rental, when you're saying it's not a rental, because that was, I mean, there's well, I mean, power. it was a rental, but they re-signed the guy for the following year, so do with that what you will. Was this a, was this a, a trade for an Angels pitcher? No. No, oh, damn, okay. Uh, it is a pitcher, though. You're right. It is a pitcher, okay. Yeah. Is it a, is, is it a starting pitcher? Yeah, it's a starting pitcher. No, wait, not the Angels, the A's. It, no. Still no. no. Still no. <laughs> well, I got Joe Blanton on my mind. I don't know why. Not Joe Blanton. <laughs> later? Is that later? I don't know. I can't remember yeah. when that happened. I think that didn't really work out that great. It um, didn't. But, yeah, that, that yeah. was another round. <laughs> not, maybe not a great move. Um, this, this one worked out a little better. Uh, <laughs> did, it, did it work out for the other team? Um, in a sense, yes. Although, really, it worked out because these things were flipped for other things. Ooh. Oh, okay. So it, it was it was the follow-up trades that made this a win for both. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Ooh, that's, that's, that's another layer to this onion. Pitcher. What pitcher did they add in 2010? At Halliday, at Hamels, who's who's a third? Who's a three behind them? Oh, 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 oh! I know why you're doing this. I know. Yeah, why yeah, yeah. There's there is a reason I picked this trade. And I look at you. Look at sure you. I I am standing and well done. Have you been holding on to this one? Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Oh, I bet you were excited to do this one. <laughs> I was. I was. It's so exciting to me. Sometimes he reads my mind. This is one of those moments where he reads my mind where he goes exactly oh, what wow. it's great. Um nice have a mind reading friend. I like that. <laughs> Sometimes we do it for good. Yeah, this okay. Um and now I know why you said the other thing about trade it away, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Okay, no. so all right, so he knows who the the pieces that goes to the Phillies. I'm guessing you know who a couple of the guys who went the other way. Are I know two. Well. I know two names. I'm guessing I know which one you're missing too. Um, See now you're reading his mind. You just you just read each other's minds here. Yeah. You've gotten good at it over the years. Happens a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this actually does happen a lot more than you Mm. know what you're doing sometimes it's like you're in my brain would be yeah. um, right yeah. now though it's highly functional uh, <laughs> useful um, so okay so Irby knows what this trade is he knows why I picked this trade so before we get into this and before we start sort of revealing pieces in this or allowing Irby to reveal pieces we're going to give you guys at home as well as well another chance to, to think about this and Part of the mind reading he did here, like this is I think the best hint I can give you at least to, to sort of start narrowing this down, is that the, the 
biggest hint that I, that I could give in from what he has kind of already said to you is that he said, there's a reason you picked this trade. And what he meant by that is there's a reason I picked this trade right now at this exact time. And it relates to something I said at the very beginning of this conversation. So what does that tell you at the very least about who the other team involved in this trade is? Uh, Houston. Yeah. There you go.
but he is currently a guardian. He also plays a different position now for the Guardians. This will, every Guardian fan is going to know who I mean now. But he plays a different position now for the Guardians than he played for Houston. That's an offensive guy. Well, it was. It is not now. This person was an outfielder at the time of this trade. Uh-huh. He's now a pitcher. It's not Brett Phillips. <laughs> I said he was on the Guardians. I know. I just wanted an excuse to say Brett Phillips. <laughs> That's understandable. <laughs> is Brett Phillips? I mean, what is Brett Phillips really? Where's the Golden Glove for that? Yeah. What? What? How do you define the Golden Glove for Brett Phillips? That's Nothing. true. Yeah, if if Brett Phillips had won a utility Gold Glove, I think we'd be okay. I would have respected that. that yeah. 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 There we go. I would. I would not have said a word if Brett Phillips had won that award. Um. Was an outfielder now? Oh, uh, oh, yes, yes. Okay, I know who it is now. Okay, so you know all three of them. Okay, so uh, do you want to take a crack at any of this? So, yeah, so the guy who's on the Guardians now, that was piece number three. Um, He was a minor league prospect at the time of this trade. He was an outfielder. Um, He he had quite a journey uh, between then and now, but he is still in baseball, and he, he plays for the Guardians, and he was quite good for them this season. Actually got hurt, unfortunately, so he's not on the postseason roster because he was injured, but but um, he was outstanding. He was a huge contributor to that team as a relief pitcher. Uh-uh. I got nothing. <clears throat> nothing? Okay. Well, that would be Irby. You want to, tell, you want to say who it is or you want me to say it? Uh, which one? That player? The, the, yeah. The, the, Go ahead and uh, it, it would be not Anthony Goose, but Anthony Goes. Yes. Anthony Goes. That's right. Once upon a time was an outfielder. And then he went on a very long and arduous journey. Um, you know, he went to Mordor and he came back a pitcher. Um, unclear what happens in the meantime. <laughs> Actually, we know what happened to him. But I just picture him, like, trudging into Mordor and, like, throwing the ring into Mount Doom and then coming back a pitcher. Who's his Sam? Works in my head anyway. Does he have a Sam? Um, I'm going to guess it was the Detroit pitching coach in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Based on, according to my numbers, uh, <laughs> that Sam, which is a really, really terrible answer to that. Um, we'll, we'll think on that, see if we can come up with something better. But, okay, yeah, so Anthony Ghost was one piece of this trade. Um, the other two, as Irby mentioned, one of them was a starting pitcher, left-handed, if that helps anyone. Um, this person was already in the majors when this trade took place. And then, of course, the other gentleman, a shortstop, um, who at this time was a prospect. Um, he is technically still active. The starting pitcher is not. He retired before this season. He's not a full-time dad. Good for him. But, we, yeah, we got two active guys here. One of them is Anthony Ghost, and the other one is the shortstop, who is, I mean, active is a rather nebulous term. This, this fellow got DFA'd a couple of times. This year, so I'm not sure you can be around that much longer. But uh, Bo, any any thoughts um, on either of these guys? I don't think either of them spent any time with Texas, so I can't help you that way. No. Um, you got any? You got any '80s hair bands? No, um, but you can think about what she said at the beginning. It wasn't this trade. Think about yeah. Mister Goes and. The pitcher involved. Where do they go next? Yeah, that might that might mean something to you. 
actually, because they go again in a trade together somewhere else. Well, Good job, Irby. Good job that you got that. Yeah, they're trade pals. It's like you can't send one. They're like Siamese twins for trades. You can't send one without the other. But yeah, they do go to the same place. Unfortunately, um, I can't think of that trade either. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay, let's try this as a hand back. So, yeah, they, so they both go to Toronto, 2012. Oh, boy. Yep. After that, they're past diverge, right? They were, they were trade pals for a little while there. Wasn't that... Wasn't that- Toronto used to trade involved like sixty players. Yeah, I was gonna do that trade, but I realized that was like an it was an entire show if we did that trade. <laughs> yeah. Because there there were like, like I mean, I was up to like eighteen or something by the time I got to the end of the whole thing. And I was we'll like, take I your high eighteen for our double eighteen. <laughs> like, I mean, at what point, yeah, I'm like, I do I just do I do this? Do I say, okay, half of our show is a trade this week? Or do we just do the thing where we're like, okay, give me six of these and then we'll call it a day and I'll just read off there. That trade is a mess. Like you could, you could have an entire podcast based on that trade. Um, you could probably do a season of a podcast based on that trade. But yeah, that, that one was a, a real doozy. But let's, um, well, I, I think we put enough time into this. Um, this guy, you know, last hint, um, which probably won't resonate with anybody except Philly fans, but this is a guy who everybody was really, really excited about um, when he was coming up uh, for Philly as a rookie. And he never really became the guy that everybody kind of hoped he was. And he was serviceable enough. And he had a fairly lengthy and respectable career. But unfortunately, this, this guy kind of never panned out as like the prospect that, that everybody, especially Philly fans, uh, wanted him to be. So with that said, Irby... Who is he? Who is the left-handed starting pitcher in this deal? Anthony Gosa's trade Siamese twin. Trade Siamese twin. Well, he's not J.A. No, he's just J. Hop. Is he not J.A. anymore? Did he change that? I Well, no. It's, I, I believe he's just going by J. Like, J.A. is just, just pronounced a J. But, yes, it's J.A. Hop. J. J. Hop. It, it is. J.A. J.A. J. spelled J.A. Oh, my God. I'm so glad I didn't know that. Um, yes. I, and now you do. <laughs> take that back out of my brain. Um, yeah. Terrible. Everybody said J.A. at the time. But I, at some point, whenever he said, I'm so glad I didn't know about that. I'm mad I know it now. Um, I, mean, I want that removed from my head. Take it back. And cut. Cut scene. <laughs> Redo. <laughs> Time for some inception. Um, get in there and remove that. Yeah. And our last guy, I mean, the best thing I can give you is like his last name is, it rhymes with the last name of a sort of very, very famous Boston Red Sox um, from the 2004 team. Guy who's gone on to have a pretty successful career in media, one of the heroes of the, the Cowboy Up era of the Red Sox. I believe he was even responsible for the phrase cowboy up there. Um, they have the same last name. It's just a different first letter pronounced differently as well, but spelled the same. So if that helps anyone, I'm Malar. putting that out there. Right. Yes. Very good. Right. There you go. I won't say rhymes with, but <laughs> the same name, but stick a different letter on the front. So take the I L L A R and give me a different letter. I actually had a few years in Baltimore, Bell. That might help you. Yeah, I know who he did. I'm trying to remember. The, is, is it Pilar? I think it's, no, not uh, Kevin Pilar. No. That only has one out. 
<laughs> Fair enough, thank you. Um, Keep going that direction in the alphabet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got me with you got me with who came up with the cowboy up. I knew who that was. <laughs> yeah, Pilar. Yeah. Not Pilar. Name is, Keep going that yeah. direction. Who's he have the same first name as RB? Who's he have the same first name as that would be relevant to Bo? Current Ranger starting pitcher. Oh, yeah. Well, that narrows that's... it down. There's like 12. Well, no, that's a okay. Next... You didn't narrow it down <laughs> to 12. Yeah, <laughs> It's closer than you were before. Uh, I mean, it, it is in some ways, it is a form of the same first name as my husband. Does that help you? Um, there you go. Should narrow it down even more, Bo. Yeah. <laughs> you would think. You really would think. I've got it. I, I, again, it's, it's one of those, like, I can see him, but I can't think of his name. He, I, it's funny, when I when I realize this, I, I don't remember him... Um, with Houston, and but I do remember him as a brewer. Yeah, that's right after Houston. He goes okay. after Houston. A brewer, he, by then, the way, you know he doesn't get Baltimore called up well. for a couple of years. It's like three years before Houston calls him up. I think they called him up in. Oh, okay. So yeah, so he's still a prospect this time. He would have been very. Yeah, I didn't get called up for a number of years after this trade, so. And he does get flipped in Milwaukee eventually. All right. Irby, time's up, everybody. Time's up, everyone. But that's all right. For all you there, you did know who Jonathan Ballar was. Yes. Yes. All right. So that completes our trade. Um, let's just talk a bit about where these guys are now before we get out of here. Roy Oswalt's uh the bulk of his early career, of course, with Houston from 2001 to 2010. He was then in Philly 2010 for a couple of months, as well as 2011 with your Texas Rangers in 2012, Colorado in 2013, and then he called it a career. Uh, he started working for his former agent in 2014. I was not able to find any information about whether he still works for his former agent, but he does own a steakhouse in Starkville, Mississippi, wherever that is, I don't know, called 44 Prime. So good for Roy. He's eating some steaks. He might be working for his former agent doing I don't know what. But uh, next, Anthony Ghosts. Um, so Houston flipped him to Toronto um, in 2012 after this happens, um, and he is there until 2014. He then goes to Detroit from 2015 to 2016, at which point he makes his conversion from outfielder to pitcher. Uh, he spent some time briefly with Texas. Oh, wait, he was in Texas. Oh, wait, no, that was the other two where we were trying to use that hint. So, yeah, this is the one that actually was in Texas very, 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 very 2017. He ends up in the minors with Cleveland in 2018, Finally makes it back to the majors as a pitcher this time around for Cleveland in 2021. And as of right now, he is still a member of the Cleveland Guardians roster in good standing. Uh, J.A. Happ, J.A. Happ, if you will. Philadelphia, 2007 to 2010. Houston, 2010 to 2012. Toronto, 2012 to 2014. Then spends part of 2015 in Seattle and part of it in Pittsburgh. Then he goes 
back to Toronto in 2016, stays there until 2018. He spends two years with the New York Yankees until 2020. Tries a brief stint with Minnesota as well as St. Louis in 2021. Decided to hang him up this offseason. He is now a full-time dad. And Jonathan VR, Houston, 2013 to 2015. He was in the minors before that, between 2010 when the trade occurred, and 2013. After that, he goes to Milwaukee, as Irby already told you, from 2016 to 2018. And then Baltimore, which Irby also already told you, from 2018 to 2019. Spends time in 2020 in both Miami and Toronto. And then time with the New York Mets in 2021 and time with both the Cubs and the Angels in 2022. He was DFA'd on August 1st and is now, I believe, still technically a member of the Mariners organization, but he is in the minors as of right now. All right. That's a fun trade. And nicely done bringing in <laughs> this year's Had World Series Combatants. Well done. Had to be done. Well done. Very impressive. All right. That's going to do it for us, though. We're out of here. Don't forget to give us a like. Give us a review on whichever podcast service you're listening to us on. Hit us up on Twitter. Those Twitter handles are in the uh, summation of the show. Until next week. Watch the World Series. It's good for you.